So last week, I asked you what the first verse in the Bible was and Jubilee knew. Does somebody else know this week? You weren't listening? The very first verse in the Bible. Say, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Say, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So is there anything God didn't create? No. Did he create you? Yes. Did he create you? Did he create you? Did he create you? Hey, you. Did he create you? How about you? Did he create you? Okay. Here's a good question for you. Do you think God created you to be alone? No. 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 As a matter of fact, we're going to talk down here today that God created you to be in relationship. What do you think that word means? Relationship. It's not hard. It just means to be with other people. Is God a person? Yes. Yes. In fact, he's one God, but God is what? Three persons. What? That's just hard to understand. But that means that even without human people, God is never alone because he is always Father, Son, and Spirit. God created you to be in relationship, to be with other people. And the first person he created you to be with is him, right? Have you ever been punished and told to go to your room and you had to stay there by yourself? Yes. Yes? Yes. Yes. Ransom, you're looking very doldrum about that. That might have happened to you, huh? All right. Now, sometimes it's good to be alone. Sometimes you just need to be alone and get away from people and chill. It's just not good to be alone for a long time because then you want to go out and play with your friends. You want to hang out with your brothers and sisters, even though they're annoying, right? You want to be around your family. So you were not made to be alone. You were made to be in relationship first with God and then with other people. All right. God bless you guys. Go ahead and go upstairs. So that's the uh, introduction to our message today. You were not made to be alone. It is not good for you to be alone. And that's the very, very first. Uh, if you're following along in, uh, in your bulletin, that's the very first point in our outline that you were not made to be alone, right? In fact, that's what the scripture says in Genesis 2, verse 18. Um, God created Adam and uh, he led Adam around and let Adam name all of the animals. He gave him a job to do. Men, we're very task oriented. It's just kind of in our makeup. It's in our DNA. But that wasn't enough. It says very clearly that there was no one found that corresponded to Adam that was just like him. And this is what leads me to say what I uh, said to you guys last week regarding uh, our relationship with our pets. They're wonderful, but they're not people. So the scripture says that God put Adam to sleep. He took a rib from Adam's side and he created or he fashioned a woman. He made a partner. He made a helper. He made someone to walk beside him. And that's the reason that God did what he did. We don't need to get into the hows and and try to understand what that looked like. The point behind the story is that God created Eve to be a partner to Adam. She created Eve to walk beside him. 
women are, I believe, by and large, far more relational than men. Women are more oriented toward and more interested in, typically, relationships than they are in tasks. And we could go into a, a great deal of detail with this, but I think anyone who has had children and watches your boys, watches your girls, you'll find that they're different than one another. And that's because we were made to be different. Women are typically interested in focusing on their family and raising their family. Now, I'm not trying to advocate for, you know, women not having jobs and staying at home and so forth, but someone needs to raise those kids and someone needs to be with that family and someone needs to make that home the focus. And that is naturally the interest of the overwhelming majority of women. And I believe that that is because it is in our created order to be that way, okay? Um, we were created for relationship and the woman is typically the, the one that maintains the relationship in the family. And it's a very, very important role. Um, the most important relationship, number two in your outline, is with your creator. So this is why I try to help the children to understand that um, you were created to be with someone, but even when you're alone, are you ever truly alone? No, only if you shut God out. But the scripture is very clear. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's as close as your breath. If you call out to him, he's there. Interestingly, Adam was made first and he was given tasks by God and he had a relationship with God. But God had something more in mind. He wanted to create a relationship that was, let's call it a partnership that was peer-to-peer -peer oriented uh, rather than, uh, you know, God is so much different than us, it's difficult for us to relate to him. And so as the result, um, God said, I'm not done creating just yet. And then he created the woman. Um, but the primary relationship for every one of us is the relationship that we should have with our creator, the relationship that we should have with father. Um, I like what St. Augustine said here. He said, we are restless until we find rest in thee. Now, here's the interesting thing. You may have a phenomenal partner, uh, a wonderful wife, an amazing husband, but you're going to find that that relationship that you have falls short, that you lack fulfillment at some deep level of your life until both of you establish a relationship with your creator, a relationship with the father. And something that I've told married couples for years or uh, couples that I'm counseling on the way to getting married, I don't do the, 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 the hardcore uh, rubber meets the road counseling. I talk about marriage uh, from the scriptural perspective and then I turn that over to couples who uh, I trust to do the, the practical side of the counseling. But I've told couples that I'm counseling for marriage for years that the closest relationship that you can have with another human being is when you and that human being both have a relationship with God. And we think of it this way, um, it would seem in the natural that the most intimate relationship would be between two people, right? Between uh, a husband and a wife. There's an intimacy that's there on, a, on an emotional level, on a physical level, and so forth. 
But the reality is the most intimate being in the universe is not two people. The most intimate being in the universe is a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so it would stand to reason that the most intimate way for you to be in relationship with your partner, with your husband, with your wife, is for the two of you to be in relationship with that triune God. We say God is one. He is one God, three persons. We use the word Trinity to define that or describe that. When I am doing our karate class at the beginning of the class, we, uh, we get on our knees uh, and um, we make a triangle. And then I tell the children that this triangle is a good way to kind of try to understand that God is three persons and one God. And then we put that triangle on the ground, we put our head in that triangle, and then we say, Yesu Washunari, which means Jesus is Lord. And there is some, uh, there's some tradition that goes behind that in a uh, Japanese dojo, wherein they would bow to the master. The, there's usually a picture of the founder of that particular karate school uh, behind the sensei that is leading, and uh, the uh, students will all bow and they will do that as a way of respecting that master. Well, Yesu Ashwinati means Jesus is master, Jesus is Lord, he's the one that we bow to. But the point that I'm getting here that I teach your children when they're in our karate club is that God is three persons. He's a trinity of persons. So as I said, it stands to reason that you will be closest to your partner when the two of you are drawing closer to God. So think of that triangle again. Now imagine, here's this equilateral triangle that I'm making. Imagine that you are on one side at the bottom of that equilateral triangle. Your partner is on the other side at the bottom of that equilateral triangle. What happens when the two of you move closer to God? What happens? You move closer to one another. This is why we don't want to be, as the scripture calls it, unequally yoked. That means in a relationship with someone who doesn't have that same fundamental relationship with God, or someone who doesn't uh, consider God to be the most important relationship in their life. We will smother one another, we will crush one another when we treat each other as the most important relationship because no human being can handle all of the, the needs of another human being. Only God is capable of handling that and shouldering that. So when you enter into a relationship with someone, you would be wise, even if it's not a male-female husband-wife relationship, you would be wise not to enter into a close relationship with anyone who doesn't seek to have a close relationship to Jesus. Now, I don't mean a perfect relationship, but I mean a close relationship. They're seeking, they're striving, they're trying. It doesn't mean you can't be a friend to anyone, but I would advise you very strongly not to enter into a dependent relationship with anyone who doesn't share that strong uh, dependence upon Christ as their fundamental relationship. So number three in your outline, God is spirit and those relate, who relate to him must worship in spirit and in truth. That's John 4, 24. Um, I have to be awakened spiritually in order to perceive God. And I am not going to be able to perceive God or be in communion with God or communicate with God until I have had that spiritual awakening. It's really like we're, we're all born with a, a very, very important part of ourselves that is incapable of sensing. 
It would be like being born without one of your five senses, being born blind or being born without hearing or without smell and so forth. It affects everything in your life when you don't have that particular sense. You know, to speak with anyone who is uh, without one of these senses. I know that a number of people um, who have dealt with the coronavirus have uh, given testimony that they lose their sense of smell. And I, I read uh, someone who uh, was dealing with this uh, a week or so ago who said, yeah, I can't taste anything right now. Most of us realize that the secret to eating something you hate is to plug your nose. Because without your sense of smell, you lose your sense of taste. They're interdependent, right? So what I'm trying to say is that there is something that is even deeper than your five senses, than that physiological part of you, and that is a spiritual part of you, your spirit. And when you were born, that is in some manner disabled incapable of uh, sensing the presence of God. And it has to be, that spirit has to be awakened, it has to be reborn before we can have that sense of God's presence. Now, that doesn't mean that young children can't believe in the existence of God, but even children have to come to the place in their lives where they choose to put their faith in Christ and be reborn. Right? They were born once through you, their mother, but they have to be reborn. We all have to, have to be reborn. So um, in order for you and I to have a relationship with God, we have to have a spiritual awakening, right? Um, there's only a, uh, therefore, number four, only a being with a spirit can communicate with God who is spirit. And uh, so that's 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 16. And uh, I do have that down there, Jake. I'm going to go ahead and scroll through these so that I can read the same translation as them up here. Um, so uh, the scripture says, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand that God, what, excuse me, what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Listen carefully. And if you're not listening, then this might be you. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For, and then he quotes, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Haven't you read, he replied, that in the beginning, oh, I'm sorry, that's, <laughs> I jumped into another passage there, right? There are actually two more verses there, and I realized that, but I had cut it off right there, okay? So you have, when you receive Christ, you have a reborn spirit, 
and his spirit comes to live with you, and you have the capacity then to commune with God, to communicate with God. Prior to that, you don't have that capacity, right? So look at number five on your outline. This is because of how you were created, and this comes directly from Genesis chapter two as well. You have a body, you have a spirit, and the harmonious combination of those two creates who you are, a human soul. So the scripture says in Genesis 2-7 that God formed man from the dust of the earth, that's the body, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He did not do that with any other being, with any other animal, only the human being, right? So here's the man who is has a body prepared for him by the Lord, and then the Lord breathes, in, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And in both Hebrew and Greek, that word for breath can also mean spirit, right? So God animated the man with his own spirit. It was not a natural process. It was a supernatural process. It was a supernatural act. So after that, every human being that is born is born with that capacity, but we need to be animated by the breath of the Holy Spirit to be brought to life spiritually because you are not naturally alive spiritually, we could say. So we need to understand then that you have a body, say, I have a body. And we need to understand that we have a spirit, say, I have a spirit. And then the combination of those is, I am a soul. Say, I am a soul. So this is, I think, where people get confused because oftentimes soul and spirit are used synonymously. But if we look at Genesis 2-7, we'll find that they are not synonymous. The soul is that inextricable uh, entity that is a human being, that is the combination of the spiritual and the physical. Unfortunately, many human beings uh, live their lives as sophisticated animals. They just never allow that spiritual part of them to be brought to life, and so they can't commune with God. They perhaps would say, well, I, you know, I don't have time for God. I'm not interested in God. I don't believe in God. But as you heard from the passage of Scripture that I read just a moment ago, um, we don't have that ability to understand God until the Holy Spirit brings us that ability and gives us that ability, right? So number six, um, the first and greatest and most important relationship that we can have is with God. You are created for relationship. That's the theme of this message. And the first and most important relationship is that relationship with God. But what we learn from Genesis 2 is that the next most important relationship is the relationship that we have with family. Family is the next most important relationship we can have and that comes from God, it's not a human invention. Today, people are coming up with all sorts of uh, novel ideas as to what family is. But God created family, and if we are going to be in the type of relationship that he has designed to fulfill us mutually, then we need to enter into the kind of relationship that God has created, and family is indeed that type of relationship, okay? Um, and I give Ephesians 3.15 there, uh, this says that uh, every family is named from the Father. Well, that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it, but what that means is that every genuine family comes from the one God, comes from the one Father. 
So it's kind of like you can't just get a group of people together and sit in a room and say, well, that's a church, right? Now, where two or three are gathered, Christ is in our midst. That's true. But Christ established the church universal, and he establishes local communities, right? So your home Bible study is not a church. It's an expression of the universal church, but it's not a church. Christ establishes those bodies, right? Those local bodies. This is a church. Christ called it into existence. And we're still here after 21 years. And in the same respect, I can't just gather together with any group of people and say, well, this is my family. Because Christ, uh, the Father, I should say, backing up a step, established family. And we find that uh, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, specifically in verses 20 through 24. So I'm going to, I'm going to open that up uh, in my Bible here on stage. I'm going to read that scripture to you. I'm going to go up to verse 18. Then God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. Verse 20. The man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. That forms the beginning of family, this intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. So that's number seven in your outline. Family begins with a husband and a wife. Now, Jesus affirmed what I just read in Genesis when he spoke in Matthew. Now, he was talking to the Pharisees regarding divorce. Uh, they felt like they could just divorce their wives at the drop of a hat. Literally, um, a Jewish man, if, if his food was burned, could write a certificate of divorce, hand it to the wife, and she, that was it. There was not a whole lot of recourse there. And so uh, the Pharisees who were uh, fond of money and who were fond of uh, themselves, we could say, uh, asked Jesus what his thought was about marriage. And so uh, this is what Jesus said. This is uh, Matthew 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Thus, Jesus affirmed the Genesis 1 account of human beings being made specifically male or specifically female. And said, and now he quotes Genesis 2, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You just heard that read in Genesis chapter 2 at the end. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus affirms that family begins with a husband, a man, 
a natural man and a woman, a natural woman. And this husband and this wife being brought together forms the basis of family. Now, um, I used to have a church filled with unmarried people, and now many of them are married. And I've officiated most of those ceremonies. But if you are still unmarried, you need to seek God's will in this area of your life. It's not his will that every single person be married. But wait, that doesn't mean you are going to be without family. So hang on, okay? You need to seek God's will. It's interesting to me that people will take these giant steps in their lives about their education and where they're going to live and who they're going to live the rest of their lives with, and they don't consult the Lord. Listen, you don't want choice A, B, or C. You don't want this mate or this house or this career or this educational choice. What you want is God's will. That's what you want for your life. You want God's will. Ask and seek and knock. So what I'm saying to you that are unmarried, if you're unmarried, seek God's will. Don't seek a mate. Seek God's will. Now, there's a process there of asking and seeking and knocking. So if you meet someone of the opposite sex, and it appears you get along with one another, and you start thinking in, in those marital terms, then it is incumbent upon you and that person to seek the Lord and discover what his will is for your lives. And if you believe that it is his will for you to pursue marriage, then start moving in that direction. Uh, enter into an engagement. Oftentimes, engagement is just seen as a as pro forma. It's just something that we do because we've already decided to get married. No, engagement should be part of the process. I tell couples all the time uh, who I uh, counsel, uh, do premarital counseling, I tell them all the time, I don't want you to set a date until you're done with this premarital counseling. They almost never listen. They've already set the date and they need to do the counseling to get it out of the way so that I'll officiate their wedding. But see, what I want you to do is I want you to walk through this process of engagement and be able to say, you know what? This is not working out the way we thought it would. But what happens today? People move in together and they play marriage and they play house. And then they're frustrated with each other. There's no commitment to keep them together. So they just move out. Then move in with someone else and then just move out. Move in with someone else and then they just move out. It, this starts with the way we date, right? We enter into these relationships and they're like mini marriages. And then we break up. And then we enter into another mini marriage. And then we break up. You're practicing divorce. That's what you're doing. And when we refuse to restrain ourselves in the intimate area of our life, then we are essentially practicing adultery because you're not married to that person. So that's not your wife, that's not your husband, that's not your right. You're stealing. You're stealing from your future if you do marry them and you're stealing from somebody else if you don't. God's plan is better, would you agree? Yes. All right, I think it is. Family begins with a husband and a wife, but seek God's will. So if it is to be, then as you seek God's will, you're going to discover that God has created you and another person of the opposite sex to be compatible, just like Adam and Eve. But for those of us that it is apparent God has not chosen uh, to uh, be married, then I want you to understand that church is a family 
where Christ is the husband and the people are his wife, where God is father and the people are his children. What does it say in John 1, 12? To as many as received him, to, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who call on his name. That's what the church is. We are called out of the world and we are called together and we are called to be a family. In fact, at the conclusion of a passage that uh, I often teach, once again in premarital counseling, uh, Ephesians chapter five, uh, you can begin with verse 20 and read all the way down to the end of the chapter. But at the conclusion uh, of that, where uh, God is speaking to the husband and to the wife about their responsibilities to one another. He says this, I'm going to go down to uh, verse 32. He's talking about, well, I'm going to back up because he, he repeats what we've already seen Jesus repeat. This is the apostle Paul uh, that the Lord inspired to write Ephesians. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So that's the third time we've heard that today. We heard it in Genesis. We heard Jesus quote it. Now we're hearing the Apostle Paul quote it. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Did you hear that? Back up. The primary intimate relationship that a husband and a wife represents is the relationship between Christ and us, his body. Do you understand why you need to have a relationship with Jesus to enter into the right kind of relationship with your husband or with your wife? This is his plan. This is his purpose. He says, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So I want you to understand that I'm not just making this up for people that don't get married. This is fundamental. It's essential. It is the spiritual relationship that the uh, the bodily, the physical, the natural relationship corresponds to or points to. So when you have the right kind of intimacy and the right kind of connection with your husband or wife, those of you that are married, then you are given, if you will pay attention to the Holy Spirit, an understanding of the relationship that you and your husband as parts of the body of Christ have with Christ. So those of us that are in the church of Jesus Christ are brought into connection with Christ as the result of two things. This is, um, look at number eight. So I want, to, I want you to get your fill in. Church is a family where Christ is husband and the people are his wife, where God is father and the people are his children. How does that happen? How do you get there? Number nine, and the last on our outline today, we become members of Christ's body, which is the church by faith and baptism. The Holy Spirit baptizes mysteriously, spiritually, and we baptize in water symbolically. That's how you get connected to the church. Now, in this local expression of church, we have a, a, a specific protocol that you follow if you want to become a member here. You attend for three months. I have a class or I have a, a booklet that you go through so you understand what we stand for, okay? Um, and uh, then you look at our church covenant because that's what you're agreeing with when you come and enter into a relationship with us as, as this expression of the body of Christ. And then you express to me or to a member of our, uh, our, our team that does this that you believe that this is where God has called you to be a member. And so then we have a special time at the end of our service where we confess the covenant together and that is what brings you into this local body. 
Every one of us who have been baptized as believers in Jesus have been baptized into the universal church, right? Uh, as, the, uh, as the old confession of faith has it, the Catholic church, not Catholic with a big C, meaning a denominational group, but Catholic with a little C, which just means universal. The church Catholic, the church universal, right? But that universal church always, always expresses itself in local bodies, local assemblies where we gather together as we have this morning. One of the unfortunate uh, results of our uh, situation with COVID-19 is isolation. A lot of people have been isolated, especially people that are at risk and people that are older, and they're, they're out of relationship with the, the, the people in their church. And uh, these, this is not a statement about uh, politics and, and you know, whether you should go to church or not go to church. We're supposed to be the church and we're supposed to be together. And I am very grateful that we have the opportunity to, uh, to use live streaming to try to keep people connected. But those of you that have been dealing with this for the last you know, number of months know that it's just not the same. It's not the same as us being together, amen? We were intended to be together. You were intended to be in relationship, not partake of church on YouTube. That's, not, that's, that's short of what God wants for us. So I pray, you know, vaccines go out. I pray that we get herd immunity. I pray that everybody's able to come back soon because there's a lot of people that are very lonely out there. They're isolated and it's harming them. This is destructive, it's harmful. And if you have people in your life that are not able to get out, um, you know, and you're, you're close to them, they're family members or whatever, do everything you can to try to stay connected with them. Those of us in this church, if you know of people in our community that are not able to get out, that are fearful of getting out and catch, stay connected to them, communicate with them in every possible way. And, you know, if there, if there is a, a healthy and safe way, and I think there is, but I'm not going to call the shots for you, for you to go and visit them and be with them and spend time with them, please do that. The collateral damage of COVID-19 is a whole lot of people who are, uh, who are descending into depression and despair because they're lonely. God created family and God created the church. We need to be connected to one another. And that, I believe, is the substance behind uh, the scripture that we have uh, looked at today. Um, we are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, first of all, and symbolically, with water baptism. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So in conclusion to the message today, I want you to see that you were created, last week we saw, for a reason. And that reason is to glorify God. It's not to live for yourself. You were created to glorify God. And when we sin, we fall short of God's glory and we need to be reconnected to God and so we can pursue his glorious standard. And number two, we were created for a relationship, for relationship period, not even just a relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with others. And Genesis chapter two focuses on family. Now, friends 
we, we sometimes see friends as our family as well, and friendships are very, very important. But I wanted to focus on family this week, your natural family and the spiritual family that we have as the body of Christ. All the more reason for you to stay connected to your church family, all the more reason for you, even when I, I, I see this, um, you know, I've seen this in my own family, I see this in other families, where people are, are distancing themselves from family members because of disputes over political matters. Friend, I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. Put that stuff down. These people are your family. We need to learn to love each other, amen? amen. We need to learn to agree to disagree. You vote one way, somebody else voted another way. You have reason for this, they have reason for that. I, I think that, that a, a huge test in the last year has been this political test where people have just dropped away from being involved with one another because they have different ideas about how the country should be run. That's nonsense. I'm sorry. I don't care who's president. I'm here to love you. Amen? Amen. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care who you support, who you don't support. I'm here to love you. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm just going to say, well, whatever, whenever, wherever. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I'm not going to try to alienate you with that, but it's, some people just cannot be in the presence of someone that disagrees with them. We all need to learn to agree to disagree and love each other. Amen? So, let's be the body of Christ. Let's represent that love that is Christian love. And... Uh, Let's understand that we were made to be in relationship.